John Baker, welcome to the David Nurse Show. This is one I have been looking forward to for a long time. So thank you for coming on and blessing this world with the knowledge around carnivore and how how important it is. I have been doing this type of, I don't want to call it diet, but lifestyle. Now, mine's a little bit, it's more of the Saladino type. I'm having fruit, honey, dairy, we'll get into more of that. But before we dive deep into everything carnivore and all that we're going to talk about today, we always have our guests start the audience off with a bang. So something that maybe not everybody knows about you. They know you as this carnivore guru. But start us off with, with something, something different. What, what's different about Sean Baker? <laughs> what's different about me? Hey, I used to uh, launch nuclear bombs for, for a living. That was, that was a, that was a uh, uh, early wow. part of my career when I was in the military. So, so that was not every day. So I spent five years, Jeez. uh, you know, in nuclear weapons launch facilities in Wyoming, uh, you know, doing that, preparing for nuclear war, which, you know, looks like it's more relevant today, perhaps. Man, that's uh, yeah, that's something different and impressive. And honestly, I think we could probably do a whole podcast on what's different about you. I mean, uh, you rugby player in New Zealand, Highlands game competitor. If you don't know what the Highlands games are, people check it out. It's incredible. I actually have a friend of mine, Daniel McKim, it's a big Highlands game performer. I don't know. Oh, I, know, I, know Dan. I know. I know. I yeah. know Dan. I've fed Dan several yeah. times, and <laughs> Dan's yeah. a good guy. I'm gonna have to reach out to. Dan. So when I was when I was growing up, the place that I lifted weights in high school, it was me and Daniel all the time. And if you go check out Daniel, you'll know he was putting about seven plates on each side of bench press. Yeah. So I was trying man. to you know get bigger by osmosis. But somewhere um, in Kansas okay. or somewhere, I think he's Kansas. Yeah, or something Kansas like City. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah good sure. memory. Yeah, yeah. Good beef out there, Sean. Really good yeah. beef. Sure is. Absolutely. Well, let's dive into it, man. So what led you into the carnivore diet and taking this 30 day experience or just experiment on yourself? And you know what's interesting, though, like people call people crazy until it becomes something of the norm. And then they call you a genius, which probably was a transformation that you had to go through. Well, I don't know if anybody's calling me a genius. So there's still a lot of crazy out there, but I, uh, you know, I just did it, you know, personally, I didn't have a, I had no sort of aspirations to be some, you know, nutritional advice guy or anything like that, or even write a book or anything about, it. I just was doing it just to see what would get me better as an athlete and as, as a human being. And having, you know, gone through about six or seven years of playing with diet, you know, and, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Highland games, and I was doing that. I was a master's world champion at that. And, you know, Dan was a world champion as an open athlete. And I was, you know, despite all the athletic stuff I'd been doing and training hard, I was just, you know, I was in my mid forties and I was like, I'm getting, getting kind of old and fat and sick like everybody else was. And I didn't like that. And so I was like, well, screw that. I'm going to go play with diet and nutrition. I went pretty hard. And, you know, after about six or seven years of playing with different types of diets, I came across a, you know, a small group of people doing this crazy, what they call a zero carb diet at the time, which was basically all meat. And I thought that sounds crazy, stupid, but hell, let me try it anyway. You know? So I did. And, 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 and like you might've found, I mean, I was like literally floored by how good I felt when I did this after about 30 days, I was like, wow, this is literally the best I've felt in at least a decade or more. And, you know, I, I did a 30 day experiment, thought that was cool and went back to my regular diet at the time and immediately felt worse. And I was like, I, you know, all things being considered and all things equal, I just like to feel better. And so now it's been, you know, six years later and here I am still plugging away, eating a bunch of steaks every day and still doing well. 
Yeah, you have one of the best Instagram follows are, there is. Just the state game you have is incredible. If you can find it, I'm being so heavily shadow banned right now. Ah, dude, part of, part of this world yeah. that we live yeah. in, if you give knowledge contrary to what you-know-who wants to push, it kind of yeah. gets hidden, but you can find it. Yep. And we'll, we'll, we'll get all that at the end of it, but let's dive into some science behind why this actually is very effective. Why does the carnivore diet why, why is it the ideal diet? Let's break down the science, the nutrients, everything that you're getting in it, and the lies that people think with you, well, you have to have veggies. You have to have, you have, to have this. And just kind of debunk sure. some myths there. So let's talk about the sure. science. Sure, well, I mean, again. So you know one of my favorite feelings in the world? It's getting a great night's sleep on cozy and comfortable sheets and blankets. And for me and my wife, that is absolutely cozy earth. Cozy earth, comfort, more comfortable than cotton. It's made from bamboo. And get this, it has been featured on Oprah's favorites list. Oprah, yeah, favorites list for the last four years in a row. They even give a 100-night sleep test. That means you can try them out for 100 nights, and if you don't like it, you get fully refunded. It's high quality, so cozy, so comfy, you won't want to get out of bed. And now I teach people to get, get jump out of bed. But with Cozy Earth, you ain't going to want to get out of bed. And what they're doing for my listeners is incredible. Never been done before. 40% off. Are you kidding me? 40% off? If you go to Cozy Earth, C-O-Z-Y Earth, dot com and enter the code david nurse 40 at checkout that is david nurse 40 you will get 40 percent off the best covers the best sheets you've ever had in your life trust me you will absolutely love these you'll probably be sleeping in the next time i do a podcast check them out cozyearth.com david nurse 40 for your special discount ideal diet i don't know i'm not going to make that claim but i, I think it's a, a good diet it's for, it works for a lot of people it works for me well but I mean, unique or certainly unique, common to all diets or diets that seem to improve people's health is you're getting rid of all the garbage, you know, the processed food, the, you know, the, yeah, the, true. The, the potato chips, the pretzels, the candy bars, the ice cream. You can't do that on a carnivore diet. You know, you, you know, you, you can make vegan junk food, you can make keto junk food, you can make paleo junk food, but it's pretty hard when you're just saying, hey, meat, eggs, fish, a little bit of dairy. It's really hard to make a lot of junk food out of that. So you're Right off the bat, you're getting rid of probably 90% of the garbage that's in most people's diet. Uh, and then beyond that, I mean, it's, it's, it's a higher protein diet, clearly. I mean, most Americans eat about 12 to 16% of their calories from protein, which in my view is just way, way too low. It's, it's not enough. I think historically humans probably, you know, winded up around 30% of their calories come from protein as we evolve through time until sort of agriculture and we had this huge influx of grains and things like that. So carnivore diet usually rounds out about 30%. I, you know, personally, I eat a little bit higher protein. I'm closer to probably 35 to maybe 40% protein. So that's going to have a, an impact on um, satiety. It's going to have an impact on body composition. It's going to have uh, an impact on energy expenditure. So right away from the get-go, just those two, two things alone, eliminating garbage and, right. um, uh, you know, increasing the protein. And, and the protein is very high quality. It's, it's the highest quality protein you can get. We know from the completeness of the amino acids. We know from the easy bioavailability that we have. It's just the best way to get protein. Um, you know, there's arguments that people can you can you can you can make a plant based isolate that can approach this, and it's not mm. really food. The other thing is, yeah. you know, we we also know things like cholesterol are actually important for building muscle. That's there's a number of studies that show that you know, in addition to protein, cholesterol has a role there. Um, 
Uh, beyond that, I mean, a lot of people that struggle particularly with food addiction, and I think that's a real thing. I mean, they just can't stop eating, but, you know, they just can't stop eating one, you know, the latest potato chips, but you can't eat just one. Yeah. They can't, and it's it's engineered that way. And so what happens with this diet is, you know, because it's so, quote-unquote, restrictive, it's like, you know, trying to trying to quit heroin addiction by, you know, shooting up once, only once a week instead of every day. It doesn't work. So a lot of times <laughs> abstinence is, is just a better way to break that cycle of, you know, the continued uh, addictive behavior, which, which kind of derails everybody. Um, you know, and then what about the gut, uh, the, the gut physiology and gut function? It generally seems to be very, very um, uh, restorative to the gut. A lot of people are suffering from gut dysbiosis, gut dysfunction, gut hyperpermeability. And the, this diet, you know, just clearly seems to do that. We see a lot of people with IBS or even inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease and also colitis. It literally resolves it in many cases. So it's, it's you know, it's kind of how we're designed. I mean, our as much as there are people out there thinking we're herb, herbivores, uh, <laughs> Our stomach pH is 1.5. It is extremely, extremely low. It's on par with other, certainly other carnivores and more, it's even more acidic than that. It's, it's on par with scavenger animals like uh, hyenas and vultures and things like that because the early thought was that early humans uh, were out scavenging, you know, and they were picking up meat that might have been contaminated. So having that or developing that strong pH was protective to us. And it's very energy, it's very energy expensive to run that deep pH and it's done, done for a reason. And the reason is because we're designed to be eating this, um, that, and the fact that, you know, meat is just about completely digested by us. There's nothing, there, there's no rotting in the colon. Like some people seem to think yeah. if anything's rotting in your colon, it's, it's these, it's just insoluble fiber that we can't, we can't, you know, we can't break down. We have, we have bacteria that's literally oh, fermenting that stuff or AKA rotting it. So, I mean, it's just a, a high quality, high satiety, uh, high protein, no junk food diet, which I think is, is just a really, really good thing. And it's, you know, it may seem unusual today in 2022 in America because there's so many other options out there, but you don't have to go yeah. back that far in time. You go back, you know, a few hundred years and even in this country and our diet would be very restricted. I mean, you hunt what you could get and what you could grow locally, which would have dramatically diminished what was available to you. And then you go, you know, prior to the advent of agriculture, you know, maybe 15,000 years ago, and then it's even more restrictive. And so I think if, you know, if we look at the entirety of the human species, which Homo sapiens go back 300,000 years, humans, quote unquote humans, going back to Homo habilis, 2.8 million years, meat has been a central and essential part of our diet for much of that. And it helped us to evolve our brain. You know, we went from this, you know, why, why are chimpanzees still hanging out in the trees with a 300 cc brain? They got access to all the fruit and, and vegetables they want. Their brain is still small. Why did humans diverge from that and grow this, you know, 1,300, 1,400, in the case of Neanderthal, 1,700 cc, cc brain? It was because of access to high quality, high bioavailable nutrition, animal fat. And then some people argue the advent of, you know, control of fire. So wow. that's kind Man. of in a nutshell why this is Yeah, that's a great nutshell there, Sean. Hey, so what people are wondering is, do we need veggies? Do we actually need them? Are there benefits to veggies or can we get all the nutrients through the veg from the vegetables through the animals, through the meat? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is we don't need veggies. I don't eat them. I haven't had I don't either anymore. And here I am. I'm still, you know, I'm still kicking ass, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, are they conditionally beneficial? I think, you know, you know, relative to what? So if your diet is, uh, you know, Frito-Lay and Pepsi-Cola, yeah, vegetables are going to be a net benefit to you. Fiber is going to be a net benefit to you. But 
I don't think that's more beneficial than a, a diet of, you know, animal products, which are, you know, just more bioavailable, like we talked about in, in the earlier part. So vegetables um, can certainly be better for most people, depending on what their diet is. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't say vegetables are poison or evil or no one should eat them, but there are people for sure out there. And I run into them every day that do better without them. But honestly, they say, I've, you know, if it came to, uh, you know, uh, a steak or a, a bowl of broccoli, give me the steak, you know, 10 times out of 10, where if it, if the question was, you know, do I want, you know, Oreo cookies or, or broccoli, you probably still want the Oreo cookies, but broccoli <laughs> would be probably more beneficial for you in that situation. It's a great answer because I, I'm living proof of this as well. I mean, if, if too much information for people listening here is, is I was pretty gassy when I'd have a lot of veggies. I'd always eat Brussels sprouts and loved Brussels sprouts and just stomach just turned and hurt. And then I've cut vegetables out and my energy levels have been higher than they ever have. I even, you know, what's interesting, like doing this and eating meat as opposed to bread, starches, vegetables, I don't even get tired that I need to take a nap anymore. I don't get tired in the evenings when nine o'clock rolls around. Like my wife's impressed. I can stay up and not fall asleep while watching Netflix shows at night. So there you go. It's living proof yeah, I mean, it's, that veggies are not needed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the interesting thing because, you know, so many people walk around bloated and belching and farting and yeah. you know, discomfort and their abdomen sore. And they, they just say it's normal. And I'm just like, why would that be a normal situation? Why would we be designed yeah. to be a discom in, in discomfort or pain when, you know, if I'm if I'm walking down the street and my knee starts hurting, I'm like, that ain't right. There's something wrong there. Or if I were... Uh, to go running and, and all of a sudden I'd start coughing uncontrollably or I had this, you know, horrible right. chest pain. I'd say there's something wrong there. So why is it when we, when we bloat up and our gut hurts, we're like, oh, that's just normal. It's, it's the, you know, the burrito I had. It's not normal. It's not normal. It's not supposed to be that way. Either your gut is broken or the food you're eating is wrong. I think that's, that's, that's why we see that. And the other question when I pulled the audience and listeners that they wanted to know was around carbs. I'm sure you get this a lot. Like, hey, Sean, like you perform at such a high level, set all these records physically, athletically, but where do carbs come in? Is it okay to eat fruit or should I be eating rice, sweet potatoes? What's your take on carbs? Uh, so you all know I'm a nut for total optimization. I'm searching far and wide for the best products, the best formulas, and it's really hard to find in this day and age that we live in. But I have found the best of the best, bar none, bio-optimizers. Write that down. Tell your friends. Tell your friends' friends. Bio-optimizers. The best formulas, nutrients that you can really get. And I, I want to highlight how important it is for aesthetics, performance, and overall health. They have gut health formulas, mass enzymes. It's the most potent enzyme blend for digestive function and nutrient absorption, which is extremely important. Magnesium breakthrough. You know I'm all about breakthroughs. So this is seven forms of magnesium that upgrades virtually every function in your body and gives you higher level sleep. This is just a couple of them. There's so many more. The top for every area that you need to optimize your life. I love them. Check them out. Literally, you're going to love them as well. And lucky for you, because you are a committed listener to the podcast, BioOptimizers is offering a discount, Nurse 10. Go to magbreakthrough.com backslash David or go to BioOptimizers.com and it is Nurse 10 at checkout for your special 
pricing. And when you come back to this podcast, I want you more optimized than you were before. Go get them. Well, I mean, that's personal preference. Do you need carbs to perform at a high level? Absolutely not. And in fact, if you go to, if you're on Instagram, go to Mena Henselman's page. He just, he just published a uh, nice uh, summary of, of the literature on carb-based, you know, carbohydrate versus no carbohydrate or low carbohydrate with regard to performance, with regard to strength, with regard to muscle building. And the overall conclusion, the conclusion was carbs are, are, are not essential for this. So you can, as long as you put in, have enough protein, you put in the training, and you have enough calories, hmm. you can build muscle, you can perform, uh, you know, outside of some, you know, really, really, really long, long, extensive workouts, multiple workouts in the day, the carbohydrate is, is you know, largely, you know, non-essential and optional. So where you get your calories from, it's going to be the protein, or it's going to be usually fat or carbohydrates. And so I get my, my I get my energy, my calories from fat, you know, that's 60 65% of my calories come from fat that fuels me. I perform Man. well. I, I perform, I do jujitsu at a high level. I do, uh, you know, I, you know, obviously I've broken world records on concept two rowing. I've been lifting, I've, you know, I'm, I've done this stuff, you know, for many years now and I, I have not seen a detriment to not having carbohydrates in my diet personally. So you don't need, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, dude, I, I love it. You're living proof of it. So when, Saladino, as you mentioned, is a good friend of mine, and I've known him from the start of when he started his carnivore, his journey, in a sense, went into more of what he calls an animal base. Is there's fruit, there's yeah. dairy. Do you have you had a conversation with him on this? Do you guys just like agree to disagree, or is this part of like this can be part of it? Do you think there's value in fruit and dairy, or do you think that's just personal preference once again? No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, again, I think anything, any whole foods are, are going to be far better than most people's diet. So I, I don't think that's, sure. that's something now sure. where I would disagree is for somebody saying it's essential. You have to do this to be optimal or function well, or if you don't do this, bad things are going to happen to you. Cause that's just not what the data shows. I mean, I, you know, of, of the people, you know, I've collected data on thousands of people doing this diet and I can tell you that some people do fine, you know, particularly, you know, people that are metabolically healthy and they're lean and fit and they want to have a little extra carbohydrate in there. And that's a personal preference. That's great. But to, to say that all people need to do that or have to do that is, in my view, you know, incorrect and it's not based on reality. Yeah. Um, I find that uh, for some people, it's, it's still a contraindication. You know, some people, maybe maybe people with metabolic syndrome, diabetes, prediabetes, those things can still be problematic. There are certain people that do have certain autoimmune conditions where they try to, re and, and I always encourage people, hey, do a strict elimination diet for three, six months, see where you get, and then try to reintroduce foods if you want to. And some people successfully are able to do that, some are not. And so and it's, it's unique. I think, you know, depending on that person's individual demographics, lifestyle, and the diseases they may be dealing with uh, will dictate whether you can introduce those things or not. So I think the safest diet is still, they're yeah. very restricted all meat diet when you're dealing with disease. And then there's uniqueness beyond that. And some people like to, so some people thrive on fruit. Some people don't. I personally don't. I do better when I'm strict and I, I tend to do that, you know, 98% of the time. Occasionally I'll have something off the diet, but it's, it's, it's so rare to be basically non-significant. You know, what's funny. Like when you do eliminate things from your diet, like I thought I could never live without sourdough bread. Like I thought I had to have sourdough bread. And once you go 30 to 60 days without it, the cravings are gone. So people that think, oh, I have to have those chips or I have to have this. No, after you eliminate it, like you can introduce it. But if you're performing at such a high level mentally and physically, like why would you even want to? That 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 need for it is no longer there either. So I do. I, I 
try this out. You should absolutely try this out for your own, like Sean's talking about. Okay, there's some myths we have to debunk here. And the myths are, you hit on this, cholesterol. Anytime someone goes to the doctor, like I have done, and blood tests will say, oh, you have high cholesterol. There's a good one. There's a bad one. They're both high. You need to get a statin. No, you don't. Can you tell us why that lie of cholesterol does not need to be listened to? Well, I mean, this is a very nuanced topic, and I think I, I, I've never taken the position that cholesterol doesn't matter. I know there's people out there who says if you're on a low-carb diet, cholesterol doesn't matter at all. Um, I think it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a factor you consider, but the problem is we myopically focus on cholesterol. And, you know, let's say, and I see this all the time, I have somebody that's you know, 100 pounds overweight, and they lose all the weight, and they were diabetic, and now they're not diabetic, and their blood pressure is up, and now they're not, you know, their blood pressure is not up, and their inflammatory markers were up, and now they're not. And so you've literally reduced almost all of the risk factors for cardiovascular disease, but at the same time, their LDL cholesterol goes up or their ApoB hmm. uh, more specifically goes up. And somebody will say, oh, my God, you've increased your risk for heart, cart, cardiac disease. And I would say probably not. You've probably decreased it in the overall thing. And the question is, and, and I think to me this is still an open question, is in that particular situation when all of these risk factors have decreased, but the only thing that goes up is LDL cholesterol, is that truly driving cardiovascular disease? And there are people out there that will say, absolutely, yes, it does. There are other people who say, well, not so fast. And there's actually some studies that are being run right now. A guy named Dave Feldman is in, in the middle of uh, doing one right now where they took a bunch of people whose LDL shot up and they measured, they did uh, angiography. So they did coronary artery uh, uh, angiography. And they looked at them and, and they've got data on about four years so far. And they showed no real increase in the, the progression of atherosclerotic disease. And so the, the people that are sort of, you know, pro- you know, low carb animal diets are saying, look, look, that, that shows that we don't develop disease. The anti people are saying, well, no, it's too early. It's only four years. You got to wait 20 years. And so my thought with that is I don't know for sure. I really don't. I don't want to, I don't want to tell somebody to just ignore it. So what mm -hmm. I say is I think there's a, there's a reasonable, reasonable amount of evidence that, it, that it's probably not going to be an issue for you, but the way to check is just to get imaged, you know, get imaged every yeah. You know, a couple of years I had when I had my imaging done for my heart, a coronary artery calcium scan it was perfect zero, no 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 plaque, no heart mm -hmm. plaque in my my vessels. I'll probably repeat that when I turn. Uh, I did it when I was fifty two. I'll repeat it again when I'm fifty seven uh, in about a year. Um, and so I'll just check to see to make sure things are going because my my cholesterol is high. It's not super high, but it's it's relatively higher than like a cardiologist might like. But again. I've got a world-class VO2 max. My blood pressure is normal. You know, my, my um, waist-to-height ratio is good. I'm lean, performing at a very high level. My, every, all my other markers look great. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, uh, I think it's unknown. And I, yeah. the other thing you have to work at, look at is quality of life. My quality of life is mm, very, good. very good. You know, and I see people in the same situation where I'm like, even if you knew you're increasing your risk for heart disease and maybe you'll die – at 75, a heart attack instead of 80 of cancer, would you change where you are now quality life-wise? And they'll say almost unequivocally, they say, hell no, because I feel so much better. I want to perform and do good. So I think we don't know. I honestly think we don't know. Yeah. I can't say we ignore it. I think the safe thing to do is just, just check it, get some imaging every once yep. in a while, and you can see how you're doing. Uh, that's a great answer. Quality of life overall over anything else for sure. Imaging for the heart plaque. Is there any blood markers that we should be very cognizant of like when you go get your blood tested what are the ones that you are looking at like okay this is actually something i need to take note of 
Uh, well, I mean, the concerns, you know, with, with a high animal-based diet, particularly red meat diet, you, you, you know, the traditional concerns would be, say, like, you know, your, your kidney function. So you get a basic metabolic panel, which will show creatinine and a BUN and a GFR. And, and those are always going to be, uh, interestingly, on a high-protein diet with a lot of muscle mass and a lot of working out, those are going to be high normally. And so you just have to know enough to know that that situation, you need to check something else called a cystatin C. So I use that. I, I usually check them both. And every time my creatinine base one shows, I've got too much creatinine because I got too much protein, <laughs> which is what I expect. And the cystatin C always shows that my creatinines are working great. And then I verify that with, uh, you know, am I spilling any protein in my urine? It's never showed that. And so I think that's, I mean, that's fine. But I mean, honestly, I, you know, I've gotten a lot of criticism about this because I'm like, I think the labs are maybe useful when you're sick, you know, to say, yeah. You know, we, we, I feel bad what's going on, what could be going on. And uh, a lot of these tests, because as you probably know, I mean, your labs change every day. I mean, even, even hourly, I mean, our, like our testosterone changes every hour. And yeah. so yeah. to go yeah. in and take one lab test to say, oh my God, this is what's been going on every day for the last <laughs> year is kind of, kind of silly. So totally. I look yeah. at, I like to look at longer scale markers, you know, I mean, you know, as far as, you know, like for, for instance, for cardiovascular disease, there was a nice a study looking at the Women's Health Initiative, and they analyzed the data, and they found something called a lipoprotein insulin resistance score, which looks at the lipoprotein, particle size, particle count, and calculates, you know, insulin resistance, which, you know, is very predictive for cardiovascular disease. It's probably, I think it's like 600% more predictive than, say, LDL cholesterol might be. So it's something that, uh, you know, may be useful to look at. But again, I, I, I'm not really a big fan of just doing blanket lab test because you can you can order an unending never-ending amount i mean there's literally you go to lab call for there's sure. a menu of ten thousand yeah. tests so you just order everything <laughs> so you know it's if, if you have a unique concern or a unique specific situation that you're following then that can be beneficial but i'd rather see someone's blood pressure be normal i'd rather yeah. see their cardiovascular output be good you know their, their body composition looking good those things to me indicate what's going on over a year's period of time, not what happened in the last 24 hours with your, with your serum, because that, you know, blood test only tells them what's been going on in the last, you know, even 10 minutes, maybe, maybe at most you might, you know, hemoglobin A1C might indicate what's been going on the last few months, but you know, really, I mean, body composition shows you what's been going on for the last, you know, five years. (laughs) Yeah. Visually, visually is visually and how you feel are often very good checks and, and definitely, check the main things like you were talking about but Sean, why is why is beef why why is it so vilified why do you think that like red meat is going to cause cancer when i've heard you speak about like they say like 17 percent increase or something when really there's no increase at all and they make this push for plant-based and creating it in, in labs when that whole game changers documentary but a good friend of mine you probably know him as well chris kresser goes and just breaks it down completely the opposite of what it actually like why why is this being so vilified as honey nut cheerios in the tufts report that came out is more of a complete food than ground beef are you kidding me what is going on here why is the world so backwards uh well i think there's there's some ideology i mean for those who don't know that the american dietetic association was founded in 1917 it was founded by seventh day adventist and they are you know ideologically opposed to eating red meat they're largely vegetarian wow so it has wow. some of its roots actually in religion and there's also a huge, huge, uh, you know, from a financial standpoint, there is a push 
and this is why the American diet is so much processed food because it's so profitable. You know, the, the, the yep. ingredients are cheap, the profit margins are high. And so they're just looking for how can they expand that market? And they're like, well, if we can take some from the beef market and we can get these people to eat these beyond burgers and impossible burgers or, or whatever's next, you know, they're going to keep coming up with this stuff or bug burgers, whatever we can, <laughs> if we can feed these humans, if we can convince people to eat cheap, really cheap, low quality ingredients and tell them it's good for them and good for the planet. Then we're going to do that because we're going to make a lot of money on that. And I think it's really, I think it's religious ideology. I think it's, That's it's so money. Uh, I think there's, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, some concerns around the climate, which I think are largely, largely overblown. Uh, totally. So I think that's that's what's that's what's going on with that, and um, you know it's it's you know the centralization of the food. You know they want to patent food, they want to you know they want to make food as software. Uh, you know this is the situation we're in, and I think it's to, not just beef, but it's you know decentralized food in general. And you know the, the independent American rancher is a threat to that, uh, as is the independent American farmer or dairyman. So we, they want to see this consolidation of the food supply, and you know when they control the entire food supply. You're kind of screwed, you know, if, if you don't, if that's not what you want to eat. Yeah. And I mean, we, we kind of laugh about it there at the end, but that is, if we continue on this pace that we're going right now, that is what is coming. That is what is coming from the local farms throughout the Midwest that are, there's, if you look it up, think they've been getting burnt down. They've been getting destroyed. There's no news coming out about that because everything is agenda pushed and monetarily is backed by big money like, Man, like the statins and like the game changers, all, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's awareness, man. And it's what you are doing is, is spreading awareness and needs to be more of it than people just listening to the sheep hearsay that, um, that the news is bringing them. Yeah, I mean, we've lost. I mean, I think if you go back 40, 50 years ago, we had some like 1.3 million independent ranches in the United States. We're down to 700,000. Yeah. Sure. I think we lost 100,000 in the last few years. So, yeah. The, the, the independent small rancher, and most ranches in the United States are, are mom and pop family ranches, you know, 40, 50 head of cattle. So, we're seeing that, that continued shrinking of our, of our food sovereignty and, and uh, food supply. And, you know, like I said, the end game, I think, for some is we control everything and, and, you know, we all got to eat. So, I mean, we don't have a choice in the matter. And so uh, it's a nice, nice yeah. stream of income if you can control it. Man. Whew. Yeah, that's, that's real. That is real, man. Sean. So, okay. Now I'm all about coming to the wise for wisdom and you are extremely wise in this in this area, in this genre, what are you doing on a daily basis? People want to know what does Sean Baker eat? How much, how many pounds of meat do you eat? Do you eat fish? Do you eat chicken? Is it just ground beef? Is it just steaks? Like what, what, what does your day look like in a day of life of eating? Yeah. Well, you know, again, over the past six years, my days look like usually anywhere between two and four pounds of red meat a day, plus or minus some eggs. Usually if I eat eggs, between eight to, you know, two dozen a day. So, I'm a, you know, like I said, I'm a pretty big guy, so I'm still 6'5", right, I'm 245, 250-ish right now. Um, but, yeah, that's it. I mean, that's pretty much it for the most part. Occasionally I'll have some fish. Occasionally I'll have a little bit of dairy. Uh, every once in a while I'll have something that's, quote-unquote, plant-based, um, but, but pretty far and few between, maybe a piece of fruit once in a while. Occasionally I'll have a piece of birthday cake on one of my kids' birthdays. But, I mean – I, you know, nice. 99% of my diet is going to be pretty much meat and eggs. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I'm doing. And 
I, and that's what I had, you know, for the show, I had two pounds of New York strip and eight eggs. And that, that's, uh, Man. And you know, that is, be, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning out right now. So I'm eating a little bit less and uh, <laughs> that's my food for the day. Most likely, unless I, you know, unless I decide to eat something else. And it's so great too. Like you, people think, Oh, don't you get sick of that? You need variety. No. When you have a really good steak, put some butter on it and just the, the, the fat that it's in, like you don't really get sick of that. Okay. I got a question for you. This is a, this is a, like a very, like, it's a different question. What would be your death row meal? Let's say you're on death row and you have to make the best steak possible. What would this steak, like, what goes into this? Is it a ribeye? Is it like, is it a Wagyu Japanese? How are you cooking it? Give us the most detailed, amazing death row meal for Sean Baker. Yeah. Okay. And I, and I have that meal quite frequently. <laughs> <laughs> You're planning. It's my cheat. My cheat meal is like, I have a cheat meal every day. No, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, the Wagyu is not, you know, the, the real high end, you know, a five Wagyu or something like that. The problem with that is, you know, you can't eat that much of it, you know, because it's so, so incredibly rich. rich and fatty. And so the thing is I, I would probably want to just go off to my grave with a big fat full belly. And so I'm looking at, <laughs> <laughs> probably, a, you know, probably a big old tomahawk ribeye, probably about Ooh. three pounds, uh, prime Wagyu prime, something like that. Uh, and then what I'll do, I like to do is either, I, I often do a little bit of sous vide thing, uh, for about two hours, 125 degrees, wow. 130 degrees. And then I'll just blast it at about 1500 degrees and just, gosh, just a little bit of salt. Maybe I'll put some little butter on there. Maybe I'll get, since it's my last meal, maybe I'll put some truffle butter or something like that on there. And that would be the meal. <laughs> oh my gosh, you got my taste buds dancing over yeah. here, Sean. I hope you open up a a restaurant. It serves one thing, and that's it. There you go. That's your next <laughs> you adventure. I, mean, I, think that, I think that would fly too. And I think you know, I, I've joked about that as and have on the menu all these studies as why why eating meat is good for you because they're out there. There's lots of them out there. I know, isn't it? Fine? There's really no restaurants like that. There's not a whole lot yeah. of hey, it's all grass fed. It's all carnivore hey uh, see i am planting new ventures for you is what's coming next but but do tell us what you are doing next what's your big mission and all that you guys have coming up next and the the full service platform talk to me about that sure sure so you know as i'm a physician and you know the reason i went into medicine when i was a naive young person in my 20s was to help people and then as i realized that (laughs) the healthcare system is not doing a very good job of that. Yeah. Uh, and I think probably largely because we've, we've kind of morphed into this, this big business disease management system where, where, our, you know, you get, a, you get a sick person in there and you're like, well, what pills can I give you? Mm-hmm. And I think that's not a, it's not a very good service to, to the patients. You know, in some cases, you know, uh, you know, if you break your femur, yeah, there's, I mean, our healthcare system does a pretty good job with that. Um, but I mean, for most people with chronic disease, most person who's suffering, whether it's you know diabetes or mental illness or you know inflammatory disease, whatever it might be, we don't do a very good job. All we do is kind of manage symptoms and you know run people around, and, and it's not been serving them well. And so, what I've had the very good fortune of seeing over the years now is literally tens of thousands of people literally just come off medications, and their disease actually goes away, which Damn. is what we should be doing in the first place. So good. And so uh, we are in the process of. Uh, standing up, you know, our, our medical platform called Rivero. Uh, we raised $5 million in crowd equity and venture capital uh, to do that. So we've hired our engineers. We will be hiring, you know, it's interesting. I put a call out for healthcare providers 
you know, as we're going to hire them in about six months, we've got already had 200 applicants come out to, to, to do this because awesome. there's such a, such a need for people that want to do that. And I can tell you as a, as a physician who practiced for many years in that system, um, you know, there's some good parts about it, but there's a lot of frustration about it. And right now it's all upside. I mean, it's literally every person I see every day, they got a smile on their face. We're making them happy, which makes me happy. It makes, you know, the patients happy, the physicians are happy. It's a happy place. And so that is, you know, that is a mission. That's what I'll be doing for, you know, I don't know till, you know, till I stop working most likely uh, is, is, you know, developing that, growing that. And so instead of reaching thousands of people, we want to reach millions of people and, you know, get these people off this, off, off uh, all these medications. And, you know, we've got a society that we're watching just in real time. It's like a slow motion train crash where you see all these sick people, all these obese people, all these people with mental health issues. Everybody's pissed off. Everybody's angry. Everybody's anxious. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the nutrition is awful. And that just leads to this horrible, horrible situation. And I think we can, I think we can fix it. And that's, you know, what our mission is. That's amazing, man. That is huge, huge purpose. Rivero, can you spell that for me so we all know and, and tell us where to go to be a part of this, to join this? Right. So it's, it's R-E-V-E-R-O. So it's like reverse. R-E-V-E-R-O, Rivero. Yep. And uh, Rivero.com is where you can go. And we are, like I said, that we are still standing that up. So there's information on the site. Um, you know, uh, there is, uh, you know, we have kind of a sister site, carnivore.diet, for people that are interested just in doing carnivore right now, uh, which is, which is, we've had that for several years now. And that's been helped really thousands and thousands of people. It's a great resource for people wanting to know how to do the diet or get support or get resources or recipes and things like that. Uh, ranchers, we connect with a lot of ranchers. So, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to support local ranchers and try to encourage people to, awesome. to support them as well. So, but yeah, Rivero.com is, is a great place. Uh, it's, it's, you know, like I said, we are, you know, in the process of building that out, to, you know, to a full service thing, but you can kind of get an idea where we're going with that if you check it out. Sean, you have an incredible heart, man. I, I'd heard great things about you from friends prior to this, but to know that's what you're putting your time and efforts into doing, changing people's lives. Because it is. It is. And it's interesting. Like, if you told somebody, hey, there's a key that could potentially change the way you feel, your energy, your gut, your sleep, make you happier, less stressed, not obese, in shape. And everybody would say they want it. But then other people, then everybody's doing the opposite. So, man, thank you for all you do and how, how much you educate people. And just that uh, you're, a, you're a light living what you're preaching so i appreciate you coming on the podcast man thank you very much well i appreciate appreciate the opportunity to get to chat with your audience and thanks for having me absolutely man